Hello and welcome back to my channel, Freedom by Faith Ministries. In today's episode, we're going to continue our teaching on spiritual warfare. Before we get started, I would like to encourage you to go back to our previous videos on the different the different um, tools that we have at our disposal so that we can win the battle that Christ Jesus has already won for us on the cross. In the name of Jesus, we thank you, Lord, for bringing us here today, Lord. We thank you, God, for all of the revelation and the wisdom that you're going to impart. I ask you, Holy Spirit, to be present. I ask you, Lord, to help me to be the, a mouthpiece in the name of Jesus, I ask you, Lord, to help me to speak your word. Whatever you would like for your children to learn today, Lord, I ask you to use me as a vessel to take my opinions out of the way, to take my flesh out of the way. Lord, I thank you, God, that you will reveal so many truths that we need to know so that we can win every single spiritual battle that comes against us. So for today's teaching, we're going to continue our talk on humility. We have learned about the breastplate of righteousness and why it is so important to walk rightly before the Lord. And so we're going to talk specifically about humility. Um, the last video, I touched upon that a little bit. Um, so I highly, highly recommend that you look at all the other videos uh, on spiritual warfare so that you can have a better understanding of why it's so important um, to put on every single piece of the armor of God, including the breastplate of Jesus's righteousness. And so as part of our talk on the, the breastplate of righteousness, uh, I'm going to focus more specifically on humility and how do we walk humbly before God? And why is that a powerful tool that we need to overcome evil forces that are against us on a daily basis? So we touched on the very last um, time about humility and specifically about fasting. How does fasting um, perpetuate or um, lead to humility? Why is fasting so important to God, right? And so we spoke about and we're reading about that um, story in Matthew 17 about the boy that had uh, seizures. Um, the He had a demon spirit, a deaf and dumb spirit that was trying to kill him. And the father brought the child to the disciples to cast the demon out of him and they could not. And so we're going to see what Jesus says about the disciples and why they didn't have enough power to overcome that demonic spirit that was torturing this little boy. So we know that without faith, it is impossible to please God, right? And so fasting is not only an act of faith, it also brings about humility, which is a powerful tool against the enemy. Our spiritual enemies, we know that demonic spirits must flee. Why? When we humble ourselves before the Lord. James 4 verse 7, we're going to look at that a little bit later. So when you humble yourself before the Lord, he says, you can resist the devil and he must flee from you. But it doesn't say you have to be a Christian. It says you have to be a believer who humbles himself before the Lord. So let's read the story again in Matthew 17 verses 14 to 20. At the foot of the mountain, a large crowd was waiting for them. A man came and knelt before Jesus and said, Lord, have mercy on my son. He has seizures and suffers terribly. He often falls into the fire or into the water. So I brought him to your disciples, but they could not heal him. I'm going to go ahead and read in the New King James Version. Verse 17 says, then Jesus answered and said, O faithless and perverse, generation 
How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him here to me. And Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Then the disciples came to Jesus privately and said, why could we not cast it out? So Jesus said to them, because of your unbelief, for assuredly, I say to you, if you have faith as a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. However, this kind, this kind of demon, right? However, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting, right? So the disciples were praying over this little boy. They were trying to cast out this demon that is causing him to have seizures. He was harming himself. So we know that demon was probably trying to hurt him or kill him, right? And they couldn't cast him out. They were praying over him and it wasn't going, right? And so because the, the mistake they made in this situation, they, they were not fasting. And Jesus' response, Jesus' response in verse 17 says, faithless and perverse generation. This is the new King James version and the new living translation. It says you faithless and corrupt people, right? And so the, the mistake that they made is this kind of demon comes out with both prayer and fasting. That's the end of this passage. But at the beginning, his um, rebuke of the disciples was they're faithless and corrupt. Right. And so here there's a tie in between fasting and faith. Right. You must have faith. You move. You say to this mountain, move and it will move. That's an act of faith. Right. So Jesus ties in faith and he calls them faithless in verse 17. And the thing that they did wrong was they prayed without fasting. Right. So we see a, a, um, a tie in between faith and fasting. Right. The when you're fasting, that increases your faith because some demons for them to be cast out, to hear and obey you requires great faith. And here Jesus is saying you must pray and fast for this kind of demon. So that's very interesting um, that I thought Jesus' um, rebuke for them was that they were faithless and corrupt. And at the end, he says, you must first pray and fast for this kind of demon to come out. Um, and so that is a demonstration for us today to know that there are some things that are so great that are coming against us that requires power and great faith. And that sometimes uh, includes fasting, right? There's some prayers, this kind, there's some kinds of prayers that require that we fast and pray. And fasting is an act of humility. And we know in James four, verse seven, it says, humble yourself before the Lord, resist the devil and he must flee. And we learned in our previous video that fasting is a form of humility. And here we find that is an act of faith as well. All right. So how many Christians know today that sometimes not fasting is an act of faithlessness? And Jesus said in verse 17, corruption. Right. So we must crucify our flesh, deny ourselves of food when it comes to fasting, as an example. Um, and that gives us power and it gives us um, humility, which we need against some demonic attacks of, of the devil. And so we need to remember that God gives us revelation and truths and wisdom, and we must apply them in order to win these spiritual battles that we're in every day. So we're going to go back to Ephesians 6, verses, um, verse 16, says, In addition to all of these, hold up the shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil. 
right? So putting on a shield of faith, right? You're holding up your shield of faith. So we have the breastplate of righteousness, which requires humility, right? In obedience to God, being in right standing with God, walking uprightly with the Lord. How do you do that without obeying God? So doing, uh, walking in the righteousness of Christ requires that we are in obedience to the word of God. And so we must be humble before him. And we, we learned that humility, an act of humility, one act of humility is fasting, which not only increases our faith in God, but here it says that our faith stops the fiery arrows of the devil, right? So every piece of the armor is interconnected, right? Um, and so it's very important to remember that we need to have faith in order to overcome evil forces against us. And faith... One way to increase our faith is fasting, which also increases, um, which also perpetuates humility towards God. Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. Right. So in order to follow Jesus, we must first make a decision to give up on our own way. Right. And so we don't just. I'm a Christian, but I do whatever I want. We can say that, right? But Jesus said, you are not a follower until you are ready to give up your own way, which I would call that humility. To say my way is not the right way. I'm going to go God's way, right? And we know there's a verse that says there's a way to a man. There's a way to every man that seems right, but it leads to destruction, right? So to know that my way leads to self-destruction, right? And the devil would love nothing more than to see me be destroyed, Right. But my thinking, doing things my way will lead to that destruction and he'll have his way. Right. But for God to have his way. Right. For me to be victorious in this spiritual warfare that we're in with Satan and his demonic principalities require that I humble myself before the Lord and I give up on my way because my way will not work for me. Let's turn now to Luke 22 verses 41 and 42. He walked away about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet I want your will to be done and not mine. So Jesus is showing us that he's not here to satisfy his needs, his wants. His purpose is to do the Father's will. And because we're Christians, we're followers of Christ, we ought to have the same attitude. Father, not you. I want your will to be done and not mine. Right. So Jesus is demonstrating humility. Right. Um, he is God. Right. Yet he said, not my will, let your will be done. And so that is the attitude as believers and followers of Christ that we have to have also. OK. And we are his ambassadors. We are his representatives. And so as the representatives and ambassadors of Christ, we need to demonstrate his humility. Um, so the next verse we're going to take a look at is Colossians 1, verses 15 to 18. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we cannot see such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else and holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, 
which is his body. He's the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. So notice that in the previous passage, although Jesus is God, it says for through him, God created everything. This is verse 16. Um, in this passage, Colossians 1, he's supreme over all things. He's first in everything, yet he's humble, right? He said, nevertheless, not my will, let your will be done. And so that is the attitude we ought to have as Christians and believers um, in God is in that we are his ambassadors and his representatives here on earth. And so our home is in heaven, but we are representatives of Christ Jesus. And we ought to demonstrate um, his humility. And only then can we win spiritual warfare, the spiritual battle that we're in against our spiritual enemies. Colossians 2 verses 13 to 15. Paul is talking to the church in Colossae and he says, You were dead because of your sins and because your sinful nature was not yet cut away. Then God made you alive with Christ, for he forgave all of our sins. He canceled the record of the charges against us and took it away by nailing it to the cross. In this way, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. So this is a very interesting passage in that. We were dead, right? When we're living in sin, we're spiritually considered dead, right? So in the spirit, we're dead when we're living in sin. And Paul is saying that God made us alive again with Christ, right? And so because he died on the cross for us, our sins have been forgiven. The debt that we owed has now been canceled. There are no charges against us. And he said, in this way, in what way? In the fact that Jesus died for us and our sins have been forgiven, Jesus did not just die for our sins, but in doing so, he disarmed the power of the spiritual rulers and authorities and he put them to shame, right? And so because of our salvation, because of Jesus' death for our sins on the cross, we have now had we are, we are now in a battle with an enemy who's disarmed. Satan has no power, he has no authority. And so that is, that is the good news, right? It's good news, right? So now we have power and authority over Satan because of Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection on the cross, right? Our sins are no longer counted against us. The record of charges against us has been taken away. And now Jesus, in what he did on, on the cross, in doing the Father's will, Right. He has disarmed the power of the enemy, which means for those of us who are saved by the blood of Jesus, Satan has no armor. Right. And so that is very good news, I believe. So we're going to take a look again at James four, verse seven. We're continuing our theme on humility, which is obedience to God. Right. Walking in his righteousness, putting on the breastplate of righteousness in this spiritual battle that we're in. James 4, verse 7. So humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Right? So it's important to understand that it's not enough to just go to church every Sunday. We're Christian. We're thinking we're doing the right thing. But we must be humble before God. Meaning living righteously in front of him. Right? Walking humbly before him. Um, obeying his word. Only then when we humble ourselves before God. Only then can you resist the devil. And when you do so, he has to flee. 
right? And so we talked about earlier when the disciples, the child was brought to them and they could not cast out that demon. And Jesus called them corrupt, faithless, right? And the reason he did that at the very end of that passage, we learned is because they weren't fasting, right? So fasting is an act of faith and it's an act of humility. And so they could not come against that demon that was, that was torturing that little boy because they were not humble enough. They were not fasting. They were not um, in faith. And so that is the importance of fasting, humbling ourselves before God. And that is where we get our power against the enemy. Our next verse, 1 Peter 5, 6-9. So humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God, for he cares about you. Stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Stand firm against him and be strong in your faith. Remember that your family of believers all over the world is going through the same kind of suffering you are. So this is another very important passage and interesting um, because here it's saying, you know, Paul is writing letters. He's not, uh, I'm, I apologize. This is Peter. Peter's writing letters. And normally when you're writing letters, you write fluently, right? So one thought leads to another thought, leads to another thought, leads to another thought. And so it's interesting to me that Peter in verse six says, humble yourself under the mighty power of God and he will lift you. In the very next sentence, right, so humility, and then he goes on to give your worries and cares to God, right? So is it possible that when we're worried, could that be an act of pride, right? We're not giving our worries and cares to God because we think we can handle our problems. We can handle our worries and cares ourselves, right? And so I think it's interesting that he's writing this letter, um, and he's not writing one thought and then separated um, to the next thought. Right. He's just writing letters. So at that at this point, when the apostles are writing letters, they're not separating verses out. That happened much later. Right. So Paul is saying, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God and then give your worries to him. Right. So giving our worries and cares to God is actually an act of humility, basically what he's implying, I believe. Right. So when you're humble before God and you trust and have faith in him. Right. All of your worries and cares should be on him because he can handle them better than we can. Right. And so Paul is writing a letter. He's not separating verses like we've done after. Right. After the writings of these apostles. And so very the very next thought after he says, humble yourself, give your worries and cares to God. And then he goes straight next into stay alert and watch out for Satan. Right. So how can humility giving our worries and cares to God, and then being alert and watching out for our enemy, Satan, right? So when you are in pride, right, and people don't think about worry as pride, and I, I have come to uh, believe that worry is actually an act of pride, right? And so if we, if we truly have faith in God and we're truly humble before him, because God says in many places in the Bible to not worry, to have faith and to trust in him, right? And so in, in worrying and not trusting God, that is, in fact, disobedience. It is, it is against the will of God that we worry about our problems and our cares, right? And so because worry is such a common you know, problem, I should say, um, in the church, we kind of normalize it. Well, well, you know, it is what it is. That's, that's normal to feel this way. But if God says no many times to worry, we have to think of it 
anything outside of the will of God is sin, right? And so he's saying, humble yourself before God and then give your worries to him and watch out for the enemy, right? So what is the relationship between humility, giving our worries and cares to God, and then watch out, stay alert. Your enemy's out there trying to get you, right? So is it possible that when we refuse to hand over our worries to God, right? Um, that may be an act of pride. And when the when James says in James 4, verse 7, humble yourself before the Lord, resist the devil, and, he, and then he must flee from you. Is it possible then that Satan can use our worries and cares to his advantage? Because he knows that when we don't give our worries and cares to God, and he's an, it is an act of pride, it's not humility, and he cannot come against a believer who's humble, right? So if, so if worrying and not giving our worries and cares to God is an act of pride, that gives Satan an upper hand, right? So Peter is very clear. Humble yourself before, um, under the power of God. And we know from previous um, uh, verses that we looked at that the power of God is Christ Jesus. We, we've seen that before. The very power and the wisdom of God is Christ. We've seen that in a previous vi video. Um, and then he said, right after humble yourself, give your worries and cares to him. And right after that, watch out for your great enemy. Right. He's prowling, looking for someone to devour. So that means Satan cannot devour everyone. Right. So Satan has been disarmed. Right. Because we have been saved by the blood of Jesus and Jesus's death, burial and resurrection. And he conquered death in the grave. And he in doing that, he disarmed the power of the enemy. So now we who are saved must humble ourselves before him. Right. And when he says to put our cares and our worries on him, it is an act of humility to actually do that. Right. Because that is a strategy of Satan, I believe, to use our worries and unwillingness to give our cares to God. Right. To his advantage, because he knows when you do that. Right. You're not you have no power against them. And, be, and because humility requires that we give our worries and cares to God, like Peter says, it is on us to do so, to do so. OK. The next passage we'll look at. Matthew 23, verse 12. But those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Right. And so we saw earlier that Jesus humbled himself. Right. He said, nevertheless, not my will, let your will be done. Right. Therefore, he was exalted and his name is above every name. Right. And that and at the name of Jesus, every knee of every creature in the universe will bow before him, right? But Jesus humbled himself first, right? And so here, uh, Matthew is telling us, right? Those who exalt themselves will be humbled, right? But those who humble themselves, those, they will be exalted, right? And so it's important to remember why humility is so important to God, right? In our world, right, in order to succeed in this world, in Satan's world, Right. Where he is the temporary king and ruler. Right. We learn very early on in school that we must be proud of ourselves. Right. You, you got to pick yourself up from the bootstraps is what I heard throughout my entire childhood. Right. You got to it's a it's a dog eat dog world out there. You got to get them before they get you. You have to step on whoever you need to step on to climb up that ladder. Right. So this world encourages pride. Right. Because Satan feeds on on it and he's the ruler and he deceives the whole world. Right. So we live in a world where pride is what how you um, succeed in this world. 
right? But remember, everything in this world will pass away. It's a temporary world that we live in, right? And so as ambassadors of Christ, we ought to demonstrate that in, the entire, in, in front of the entire creation of God, right? Jesus, it, through him, all things were created, not just this world, right? So we live in a, in a universe where Jesus, right, through Christ, all things were created, Right. And because he's telling us right in the word of God, Jesus, who is the word of God. Right. We know that pride. Right. God is telling us pride in his world, in the entire universe, that pride leads to humility. Uh, God will humble the proud. Right. But he will exalt those who humble themselves. Right. So success in God's eyes. Right. What truly matters for eternity is the humble. Not the proud. So the proud may temporarily have success in this world, in Satan's world, and they are passing away. And we know everything in this world will pass away. But for eternity's sake, it requires humility for exaltation. The next passage we're going to look at is exactly how Satan works through human leaders to cause destruction in this world. So let's take a look at Ezekiel chapter 28 verses 1 through 19. Then this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, give the prince of Tyre. Let's remember that. That's really important. The prince of Tyre, this message from the sovereign Lord in your great pride, right? This is the prince of a nation called Tyre, which no longer exists. Um, in your great pride, you claim I am a God. So this is the prince of this nation who thinks he's a God. I sit on a divine throne in the heart of the sea, but you are only a man and not a God. Right. So this is God speaking through this to this prince of Tyre through the prophet Ezekiel. He's telling him, you're not a God. You're just a man. Though you boast that you are a God, you regard yourself as wiser than Daniel and think no secret is hidden from you with your wisdom. In understanding, you have amassed great wealth, gold and silver for your treasuries. Yes, your wisdom has made you very rich and your riches have made you very proud. Therefore, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Because you think you are as wise as a God, I will now bring against you a foreign army, the terror of the nations. They will draw their swords against your marvelous wisdom and defile your splendor. They will bring you down to the pit and you will die in the heart of the sea, pierced with many wounds. Will you then boast I am a God to those who kill you? To them, you will be no God, but merely a man. You will die like an outcast at the hands of foreigners. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. So God is telling this prince of Tyre, you're not a God. That's what you think. Right. But this is the judgment that's going to fall upon him because of his pride. Right. So God says, I will humble the proud. So he's going to bring this um, prince of Tyre down because he's exalting himself, thinking he's a God. Right. So this is the, an act of judgment uh, of God against him because of his pride. So we're moving on to 11. Then this message came to me from the Lord. Son of man, sing this funeral song for the king of Tyre. So we just looked at. The prince of Tyre, which we know is a man, right? So we're going to look at who is the king of Tyre, right? So we looked at the prince of Tyre. Now we're going to look at who is this king? How can Tyre um, be run by both a prince and a king? Are they two different people? What are we, 
what are we talking about exactly? So this is the message that God gave to Ezekiel to tell the king of Tyre this time. He says, you were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and exquisite in beauty. You were in Eden, in the garden of Eden. So how can a man be the king of Tyre and he's, he was also in Eden, right? So that wouldn't make sense if that was really a person that, um, that is being referred to here. He says, you were in Eden, the garden of God. Your clothing was adorned with precious stone, red, carnelian, pale green, peridot, white moonstone, blue, green, barrel onyx, green jasper, blue, well, let's go on. Just a lot of precious stones, basically. All beautifully crafted for you and set in the finest gold. They were given to you on the day you were created. Notice he didn't say on the day you were born. He said on the day you were created. That's really interesting because usually when, you look, when you're talking about human beings, we say born, right? But he says on the day you were created, I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. Angelic. Right. That's not a word we use for human beings. Right. So we have the prince of Tyre is a man. But now we know the king of Tyre, the king. So he is the one who's actually ruling this nation called Tyre at the time. And he said that I adorned and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. Right. A guardian angel. Basically, you had access to the holy mountain of God. And walked among the stones of fire. And we know a human being can't really do that. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. Your rich commerce led you to violence and you sinned. So I banished you in disgrace from the mountain of God. And we know that, we know that the devil, because of his sin, his rebellion, his pride, he was cast out of heaven. Right. So we know now that we're talking about Satan. So Satan is actually the real spirit being behind the Prince of Tyre. The Prince of Tyre is proud. He thinks he's God. Satan is proud and he thinks he's God. Right. And so he wanted to take the place of God and he was kicked out of heaven because of his sin. Right. And so now we know that Satan is the spirit prince. He, he is the he is the basically the being behind the man the prince of Tyre, right? And everything that Satan thinks, that's what this prince of Tyre, who's a man, thought of himself, right? And so we learned in Ephesians 2 a while back that Satan is the one at work in the hearts of those who refuse to obey God. So when we refuse to obey God, Satan can easily enter into our hearts and manipulate us to get us to sin against God just like he did. Right. So that's why it's so important to have the breastplate of Jesus's righteousness on us so that our hearts cannot be penetrated by the devil. Right. Because that's where he goes. He goes right for the heart. Um, I'm going to go down to 17. Your heart was filled with pride because of your beauty. Notice it says the heart. Right. It all starts with the heart. Your wisdom was corrupted by your love of splendor. So I threw you to the ground. Right. He humbled Satan because of his pride and exposed you to curious to the curious gaze of kings. I'm going to go and skip down to 19. All who knew you are appalled at your fate and you have come to a terrible end and you will exist no more. So it's really important to really understand why does God 
um, talks so much about humility. It's really important because he wants to see his children exalted, right? Otherwise, these verses wouldn't be here, right? So it's, it is his desire to see his children. We are the light of this dark world. We are his ambassadors, right? His representatives, the representatives of Jesus, right? Who is the light. And we also who are the light, right? We must demonstrate his character, which requires humility and walking in his righteousness. The next verse, um, we are going to look at Luke 10, verse 18. Yes, he told them, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. So Satan fell from heaven like lightning, right? And we know lightning is very fast, right? So as soon as he became prideful in his heart, he fell fast, right? So that is a lesson for every single one of us. Like this t prince of Tyre who thought he was a god, right? He thought his wisdom and all his riches and wealth, right? But because of his um, pride, which we now know is the king of Tyre, who is Satan, who was behind him, who was in his heart manipulating him, right? So we don't want to be like those. We don't want to be like that example, right? And so for us to be um, in the will of God and to demonstrate his um, his uh, humility and and because we are his children, we belong to him. It is important for us to walk in his righteousness, to be faithful to his word and be humble before him. Right. Because the end result. Right. We know pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before the fall. Satan had a haughty spirit. He had he had pride and he fell fast like lightning. Right. And that is the fate of every person who allows demonic spirits or Satan himself to manipulate them because of their pride. The end result is always destruction and a fall. Let's look at one more passage before we end our session for today. The next passage we're going to look at is 1 Samuel verse 15. Correction. 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 24 to 26. Then Saul admitted to Samuel, yes, I have sinned. I have disobeyed your instructions and the Lord's commands. For I was afraid of the people and did what they demanded. But now, please forgive my sin and come back with me so that I may worship the Lord. But Samuel replied, I will not go back with you since you have rejected the Lord's command. And he has rejected you as king of Israel. So King Saul was the first king of Israel. He was anointed. He was chosen by God. And because he sinned in this battle, which we're not going to go through the whole story, but God gave him specific instructions to annihilate basically everyone in that battle. And he kept the best uh, things for himself. He didn't destroy everything like God had said. And so it says here, when Saul, when Saul sinned against God and did not follow his instructions, right? Samuel called that rejection. You rejected God. You rejected his commands. Right. So our disobedience to God is an act of rejection. We do not agree with what he says. Right. We're going to go our own way, which we know there's a way to a man that seems right, but it leads to destruction. Right. That pathway of doing things our way leads to death. Right. And so here we're learning that when we are in opposition to God's word or we refuse to obey the word of God. Right. Samuel called that a rejection. Right. He rejected God, right? So sometimes we don't think of ourselves as rejecting God. But when we, when we go against the word of God, it is an act of rejection because Jesus is the word of God. So when we go against the word of God, we are saying no to Christ, 
So most Christians probably don't realize that. And that's why it's so important. Like Paul says to tremble at the word of God. Right. Jesus is the word of God. He's the commander. Right. So if we are in a battle with demonic spirits in the demonic world that we live in today. Right. We must obey the, the commands of our commander in chief. Right. He's a chief commander of this battle. And so we cannot be the middle of a battlefield and everybody's doing their own thing. Right. And so God, um, he is the king over all things. Jesus is the king over all things. And so if he's saying that it requires humility to win this battle, you can't say, no, nah, maybe not. Right. Um, so if you think about a real war um, for the soldiers to be in unison, to win a battle, they must listen to the instructions of their commander. Right. So if everybody's doing their own thing, we can't win this battle. Right. So Jesus has already won the battle and we're just demonstrating his victory. But it requires humility. Right. And so that's why it's so important to have our breastplate on at all times, because the enemy is looking for someone to devour. And we don't want to be those people he's looking for. Right. And pride is one of the things he looks for. And so we need to be very mindful of that. Actually, let's go to one other passage. Maybe two more. First Samuel 16 verses verse 14. We're going to continue on in this theme of why we don't want to be rejecting our commander in chief while we're in the middle of a battlefield, right? First Samuel chapter 16 verse 14. It says, "Now the spirit of the Lord had left Saul." Notice that God can't have anything to do with pride, right? He loved Jesus, that he's the son of God, right? He humbled himself before God. Nevertheless, not my will, let your will be done. And he was exalted, right? So that, this is the picture of what Christians should look like to God. And so because Saul um, rejected God, right? He disobeyed his command. He didn't say, God, I reject you. He disobeyed his command. And he, in a sense, rejected God, right? And he says um, here, now the spirit of the Lord had left Saul. So the Holy Spirit was no, no longer with him, right? This is a man who was anointed and chosen by God to be the king over Israel. And now the spirit of God has left him. And the Lord sent a tormenting spirit. And we know that's a demon, right? God, God sent that demon, right? To fill him with depression and fear, Right. So why is there so much depression and fear in this world where we believe pride is the way to move up the ladder in this world? Right. So pride leads to disobedience and rejection of God. Right. Which is where the world is going now. We know we see that in the news every day. Right. People are killing each other, committing suicide. Depression is going up. Children are killing themselves more and more. Right. Going to schools with guns to hurt one another. Why is that happening more and more? Right. So as we become a prideful society, suicide and murders are going up. Right. Why are people so anxious and worried all the time? Right. So it says the spirit of the Lord had left Saul. This is after he sinned against God and God turned back and the Holy Spirit left him. And it says the Lord sent a tormenting spirit. Right. So without humility, you cannot overcome Satan. You cannot overcome demonic spirit. So now he's being tormented with depression and fear which are demons, okay? God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power of love and a sound mind. So if we don't have a sound mind and we're constantly worried and anxious, could it be a demonic spirit tormenting us, right? So this is a very powerful revelation here, right? So Saul disobeyed God. He rejected God, 
right? And we know afterwards he started to become very paranoid and he has to go after David and we're not going to go into all that. But it's important to remember, like, why is Saul chasing after David? He's jealous now, right? He didn't do any of those things until he um, disobeyed God. And God himself sent a demon to torment his mind with depression and fear. Verse 15, some of Saul's servants said to him, a tormenting spirit from God. Right? So not all demons come from, from, come from Satan, because God created all things. He has ultimate power over all things, right? So God sent that tormenting spirit. A tormenting spirit from God is troubling you, okay? Let us find a good musician to play the harp whenever that tormenting spirit troubles you, right? So it's important to know that sometimes when we're tormenting, tormented with things, we have to examine ourselves, right? Why can't I overcome this depression? Why am I always so fearful about everything? Why am I worried all the time? Right. God has not given us believers who believe and trust in him, who follow him, a spirit of fear that doesn't come to us. But if you have pride and God walks away, it's open season for demons. Right. So I said this already, but I'm going to say it one last time, I think. Let's look at one more passage. Second Corinthians 12 verses six to nine. And then that should be the last passage. This is Paul. Talking to the Corinthians, he says, if I wanted to boast, I would be no fool in doing so because I would be telling the truth. But I won't do it because I don't want anyone to give me credit beyond what they can see in my life or hear in my message. Even though I have received such wonderful revelations from God. So to keep me from becoming proud, let's remember that I was given a thorn in my flesh. What's this thorn he's talking about? Is it like an actual thorn? He said, a messenger from Satan to torment me and keep me from becoming proud. Wow, that's interesting, right? Paul was chosen, anointed, powerful apostle, right? He had a powerful anointing. He was casting out demons and even, um, I think one passage said, even handkerchiefs would touch his skin. And demons would fly out of people just touching that handkerchief. That's how powerful he was, right? But the demon that God sent him, he couldn't touch that demon, right? So God is revealing all these things to Paul and he's writing letters to all these churches, right? That, would, that couldn't make anybody proud. But God said, Satan, I sent a messenger of Satan to torment Paul to keep him from being proud, right? Because God cannot reveal himself to a person who's proud, right? But the very... Uh, the very revelations that God was giving to Paul, giving him all this wisdom and knowledge and understanding that nobody else at the time had, that would cause anybody to be proud. But God actually sent a tormenting demon, like a thorn in his flesh, to keep him humble, right? Because God needed Paul to remain humble so he can continue to reveal his word to him that we have today, right? And so this is the length that God will go if, that he, if he has to, right? He doesn't have to. If we humble ourselves, right? Remember the passages we read earlier said, if you humble yourself, God will exalt you, right? Humble yourself before the Lord and give your worries to him, right? If you humble yourself before him, then you can resist the devil and he has to flee. Whereas if you're not humbling yourself, it's the opposite. The, the devil will come and he won't go anywhere, right? So here it says God, right? The messenger from Satan came from God to keep Paul humble, 
right? And so we don't want God to be in a position where he has to use demons to keep us humble. We must, hum we must make an effort to humble ourselves, right? And he goes on in verse um, 8. He says, three different times I begged the Lord to take it away. So that means Paul couldn't take that demon away because he was casting out demons from other people. But the demon that God sent, he couldn't touch that demon, right? He said he had to ask God. He had to beg him to make that demon go away three times. And each time he said, my grace is all you need. My power works best in weakness. So now I am glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ Right. Because we know the power of God. We read earlier that that's it. the very power of God is Christ Jesus. Right. That is a wisdom of God. Why? Right? It says it works best in weakness so that the power of Christ can work through me. Right. And so it's important to know that God says my grace is sufficient. Right. And we know in another passage, God gives grace to the humble. Right. So for us to receive grace from God, we must first be humble. And for God to give grace to Paul, he had to humble him because Paul was if you read between the lines, if God had to send a messenger of Satan to keep him from being proud, I can only assume Paul was becoming proud, right? Because if, if he humbled himself, God would exalt him. And so God sent a demon to keep him proud so that he can continue to give him grace, right? So my grace is all you need. And we know in other passages, God says, I give grace to the humble, right? So God cannot give Paul grace unless he humbled him. Because he was becoming proud, most likely, right? So we're going to stop here. We're going to stop here and pray and thank you once again for joining us in our teaching on spiritual warfare. We're going to continue this series. We're going to look in depth at every single piece of the armor of God. And so on our next session, we're going to focus on faith. How do you have faith? What is the meaning of faith? Why is it so important that we remain faithful to God's word and obedient to the word of God so that we can win this battle, right? We will hold up our shield of faith to stop the fiery arrows of the devil, right? So our faith blocks Satan's arrows, right? And so it's so important that we do not let the enemy bring us down with doubt, which is a sin, which we'll look at um, in our next session. So thank you again for joining us and we will see you again next time. Are you ready to step into your calling and destroy fear, worry, doubt, and anxiety? In Our Victory, God's Glory, author Pamela Noel describes the stop and do nothing else principle that was used by some of the most powerful people in scripture, including David, Moses, Peter, and Daniel. This You Can't Help Yourself book reveals that success in every area of your life lies in one name. Our Victory, God's Glory, was written to support Haiti's elite medical team, a Haitian-American-owned, not-for-profit organization that provides health care services to the poor in Haiti. Proceeds from the sale of this book will help support our efforts. The ultimate goal is to build a hospital and provide much-needed medical care services currently unavailable to those with limited access to quality health care. Available at Amazon, your local bookstore, or at Trilogy.tv.